having a beer after a hard day's work once meant putting up with a six o'clock swill. The swill is not only unpleasant, it's also dangerous. Those who like beer, and surprisingly it's still legal to like it. South Australia joins all other states in abandoning the six o'clock swill. Welcome to a special COP27 edition of The Swill, where we'll be previewing next week's crucial climate conference in Egypt. For once, we'll be hiding our scepticism under the bed, burying our denialism under the driveway and setting our clocks to five minutes to midnight as we celebrate this, the world's premier cosmopolitan conflab, an international festival of, of the science that strives to fight harder, longer and faster than any of the previous 26 COPs to ensure that no child shall ever again be sent to school with a plastic lunchbox. Tim, look, I'm trying to stop these grinning lips from drooping, but seriously, how many cops can we cop? And if we were up to COP27 already, did they stuff up COPs 1 to 26? I, mean, I think the incredible thing is that this will be a, a Gretelist cop. She won't cop it anymore. She says it's a terrible exercise in greenwashing. No, she's not going. She's, she's denounced not. the whole thing. I don't know why. It, yeah. It's cop. Yeah. It's sacred. Anyway, anyway, big, Nick. Big events. Do you want, yes. to, do you want to go to the midterms, yes. Tim? We should, shouldn't we? The biggest of big events. The big event. And it, it was looking oh, about a month ago, the old Democrats were getting their, they're getting their peckers up. They thought they might actually hold on to the Senate and even the House. Uh, but yes. now I just checked on Sportsbet. The Republicans are $1.04 to win the back the House. And a dollar thirty six to win back the Senate, which sounds like reasonable odds. I might get a bit of that action myself. Uh, it, uh, what, what, are the, what are the odds for the Dems to hang on in the Senate? Republicans dollar thirty six, no majority three dollars sixty, Democratic majority ten dollars. You got to put a dollar on that. Yeah, well maybe, but I do think it's one of those sports betting occasions where all the bets go one way just on emotion, yeah. as they often do. But while I've got the page open, why don't we see what else is is happening around the place? Republican presidential nominee for twenty twenty four, dollar ten, Donald Trump, dollar eighty, mm-hmm. Ron DeSantis, two dollars eighty, good value, two dollars ten for Trump, or oh, even better value. Then after that, it's daylight's third. It's uh, pence on thirteen dollars comes in, and Kanye uh, uh, West. You can get thirty one bucks on Kanye West if you want but I, I, oh you mean you mean ye yes he goes by ye it's unusual isn't it I can't remember a presidential election where it's just been focused around two candidates so soon two years before the race and I kind of worry a bit because we've always had this before haven't we there's always been the dead cert yeah. like Jed Bush do you remember Jeb Bush who just kind of, oh yeah Jeb exclamation point Jeb yeah who just collapses under the pressure of campaigning and uh, some people say that'll happen to Ronda Satis but I can't see it myself but anyway it's going to be interesting no the other person who's calling the result of course is Joe Rogan yes let's have a listen to him the red wave that's coming is going to be like the elevator doors opening up in The Shining <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think. I think people are just like, what are you saying? You're, they're making Republicans. I don't know how they're doing it. It's. I had a family member who is an, who's a boomer and a diehard liberal, and they told me when I was home this summer that they would vote for DeSantis. And I'm like, how did you lose this person? Yeah. How did you lose this person? This is a, this is a like, go to the ballot and vote blue no matter what. And you've lost even 
the the boomers. That's a hell of a thing, isn't it? Someone pointed out this week that there's a naked guy, Nick. He hangs out in Times Square in New York playing a guitar. He's kind of a fixture. And even he has got pro-Republican stickers on his acoustic guitar. <laughs> now, you lose that guy, really, in New York. But, like, they're also talking about New York being in play, Nick. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, the current governor who took over from the worst governor in the state's history. They're talking about New York possibly swinging Republican, which would be an enormous reversal. You've got to remember by how much Biden won that state in 2020 with something like 23 points. To swing that around. It would be a landmark moment. Absolutely. Yeah, I think the gubernatorial is throwing up some surprise. Yeah. I'll just look at New York. Actually. Yeah, Kathy Hochul, I think, is the incumbent. Yeah, Democrat. well, but the Democrats are holding on dollar ten, but the Republicans six dollars fifty. That's not impossible in my experience of sports bet, but we'll see. Kansas is neck and yep. neck, though. I see. How's Carrie Lake going in Arizona? Arizona, I think she's doing okay, Tim. She's terrific. Republicans dollar fourteen, Democrats five fifty. So yeah, they're going. Wow. Up. Okay. Kansas fifty fifty, dollar eighty eight, dollar eighty eight. So uh-huh. it's just going to be one of those elections that you just want to watch, don't you? Associate yourself with schadenfreude. We're in a great place in Australia, given time zones, as the night goes on in the US, across the US, in the different time zones, that we can watch the world unfold during the daytime here. So it's a terrific sport. So I'll be blogging live, as, they, as we used to say. I'll be blogging live. Well, I look forward to that. Race. Blogger to the world, blogger to the nation. What do you think about it? Go back to the basics of it. It's no surprise. I mean, at the end of the day... An incumbent president's party does well, or relatively well, at the midterms only if there's strong leadership coming down from the president himself. If he's sort of standing yep. for something, hopefully yep. something he can actually articulate without mumbling and stumbling well, over good, his words. Good luck. Uh, good luck, Joe. And without that, it's all over the place, I think, flogging the different hobby horses. Well, well Biden's hit on this theme. He actually said this. That don't worry about... You know, just put the policies aside. You're voting for something else besides the policies, which is an interesting approach. Mm. He's saying that democracy is on the ballot. Democracy. Interestingly, and this is a... I can't really believe they've settled on this as a theme, but if you don't vote for the Democrats... Democracy dies. Mm. I thought the whole idea of democracy was you get multiple opportunities or you get multiple options. So it's a one-party state is your only defence <laughs> for democracy. It's perverse. It's weird. Like, well, this has become the narrative, hasn't it? The fear of the demagogue, the fear of the hard right yeah. taking over and destroying our democracy. That's the the theme that went through January the 6th, and they picked it up again this week with yeah. uh, poor old Nancy Pelosi's husband getting hammered, not in a nice way, yes. by a guy who seemed to me to be a weird, creepy Canadian with a history of drug addiction and mental illness. It seemed quite a straightforward story to me, but no, apparently... Yeah, it's not a not a small... In, in the Democrats' yes. telling, it's part of a much bigger conspiracy to undermine democracy. Yeah, the attacker seemed to be... Um a member of what in San Francisco is a fairly large demographic, didn't he? But he also seemed very unlikely to be touched by various Fox News talking points, as some have alleged. Mm. As Greg Gutfeld pointed out, it's not often you have people living in broken-down school buses who have cable access. He was a nudist activist, apparently. He went on a... a Yes, it's the second nudist mentioned in today's podcast. (laughs) 
That's right. Maybe it's making a comeback, Tim. He's also the second nudist who's alleged to have Republican sympathies. <laughs> so there you go. But there's a lot of weirdness about this story. And obviously US commentators have gone into it much more deeply than we'll have a chance to hear. But the thing that strikes me as most odd is that when Paul Pelosi made the initial call to police, he said that the person in his house was David, who was a friend that's not been properly explained yet. No, there's a few... It's also emerged that yeah, that Pelosi got away from his attacker, went to a bathroom, called the police, and then instead of locking himself in the bathroom where he'd be protected from any potential hammer assault, he went back out and rejoined the chap. And then there was the appearing and then disappearing mysterious third person. Police initially told reporters or reporters heard that a mystery third person, unknown to the police, had opened the door. The police had gone in and they had encountered Pelosi and his attacker fighting over a hammer and that the attacker had prevailed and very seriously injured Paul Pelosi with the hammer. Mm. But then there were various clarifications. Oh, no, there wasn't a mysterious third person. In which case, who who opened the door? Did Paul Pelosi again excuse himself from the attacker and open the door and then obligingly wander back over and rejoin the attack in progress? Just for the sake of, I don't know, complete completion? We need much more visibility. We do. And look, I think there's an element of lack security here, isn't it? Yes. We should actually point the finger at the security a little bit. But no, and I was surprised, but Anthony Albanese, the Australian Prime Minister, was yes. quick to jump on the collapse of democracy argument he said that this attack was a symptom of increased polarization and extremism of political discourse across the west i thought it was a symptom of a slightly unhinged canadian who was empowered by weak security but anyway the attack on mr Pelosi was horrifying he goes on to link it with january the 6th and condemns his predecessor scott morrison for not denouncing u.s president trump for inspiring the riots on Washington's Capitol Hill oh, on January 6th. Bit of a loose attack, I would have thought, by the elbow. I, I don't think there's a, many brownie points in it. And if you're, if you're still almost six months into government attacking your former foe, who is now sitting somewhat forlornly on the back bench, he hasn't really got the hang of this Prime Minister game, has he? The authority that comes with the office. No, he hasn't. And when you're in Australia, as the as, as Prime Minister, you're talking about an attack on the US Speaker's husband, and you haven't spoken about all the other attacks that have occurred. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not sure we've heard from Anthony Albanese on the attempted murder of a right-wing Supreme Court Justice, Kavanaugh, for example. Yeah. He hasn't highlighted issues like that. I mean, he seems to be largely motivated by partisan issues. But again, on the security side of things with the Paul Pelosi case, initially there was doubt about whether there was any security footage at all Mm. It's very easy to get footage of the outside of houses via various means, Google Earth and so on. And multiple cameras turned up on those searches. And then the explanation came that, oh, no, 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 there is security footage, but no one was watching it at the time. No one was watching the security cameras. So what, is this the same company that was employed to monitor Jeffrey Epstein? Like, Is it the world's worst security camera firm where they just knock some cameras up and then just wander away? Oh, I think it's probably an equal opportunity firm, isn't it? They employ a lot of blind people. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sort of... Well, you see, 
in some roles, what we might consider to be disabilities are actually advantages. Not in this case, but early printing presses were so horrifically noisy, Nick. You might have you might know this bit of newspaper history or publishing history, because I assume it, the, the same might apply to book publishing. But the early printing presses were so relentlessly noisy that the companies that ran these printing presses would only employ people with significant hearing loss because otherwise you'd be driven insane by the noise you just couldn't stand it so it, there was a, a walk-up start for the deaf Eesh. which was an advantage in that case but i'm not sure that people with vision problems should be hired or narcolepsy maybe they're simply falling asleep while they've got these security cameras on. which might it's understandable because 99.9 percent of the time nothing's happening yeah. Is it? Yeah, no. Exactly, like, it must be pretty tedious. Like, um, but you'll remember those days when in newspapers, in our early days in newspapers, where the printing press was in the basement. It wasn't out at some greenfield yes. industrial site on the edge of the city. And it would start up and your coffee cup would suddenly be shaken off your desk <laughs> and bits of paper yes, would absolutely. fly everywhere. People would be clinging, clinging to the walls to stop falling like some minor earthquake. It was... And then you realised it wasn't actually the printing press, it was just Col Allen yelling at you. <laughs> <laughs> Who put this literal in the first paragraph? Ah, smash. <laughs> good times, good times. Before we should deal with the energy question, we do serious policy issues well on this programme, Tim, as you know. Oh, better than anyone. So we've got a problem with a shortage of gas. We know that. But I tell you, if the rising price of gas or petrol or cauliflowers is keeping you awake at night, then I suggest you haven't bought Mm. a shipload of lithium recently. Two Uh two years ago, the miners in Western Australia were selling it at about $500 a tonne, 500 US a tonne, just a paltry price for lithium. Mm. So set $500 two years ago, the latest shipment has gone for $7,800. So the price has gone up by almost eight times. That's a handy marker. For the obvious reason that everybody wants electric cars now, or not everybody, but not you and I, but the big demand for electric cars uh, and other forms of battery, and they're simply running out of lithium. It's the old supply and demand thing, isn't it? I think that... Boeing's second broken promise, after his first broken promise that he's going to knock $270 off your electricity bill, his second broken promise... 275 Nick. 275 He was very, very precise about that, yeah. I was cutting him some slack, but his second broken promise, I predict, will be that he will not be able to reduce the cost of electric vehicle by $2,000 because all the market pressures are going the other way. Was that his promise, that he dropped... Yeah, oh, I missed that one because fiddling around with taxes, stuff like that. Okay, well, no, he's not going to achieve that because is it governments are in a bit of a, a bind with the electric vehicles because they lose a lot of revenue because of fuel, they they can't tax electricity, mm. or they're not taxing electricity at, at the moment at the same levels that they tax petrol and diesel. If you can find diesel, look at the price for that next week. By the way, it might make lithium prices look like value. I have um, some news on that, actually. But anyway, let's <coughs> deal with electric vehicles first, then we'll go on to diesels, which are actually, for the first 100,000 kilometres 100, or so, actually more 
friendly to the planet. But anyway, yeah, that's right. They should, mm. they should actually pay more road tax with a Tesla because it's a heavier vehicle, right? Yes, they are. They weigh a lot. 139 kilos they're driving of dynamics. Yeah. Their driving dynamics are so relatively poor by comparison with the petrol engine of like size, or petrol vehicle of like size. Mm. But it's... Heavy is bad. It's like, it's like the Lotus designer, Colin Chapman's recipe for a, a good vehicle was oh, I then add lightness, <laughs> which is something you can't do with a Tesla. Exactly. But look, all credit... Because they never sit down and work out the details. All credit to Simon Michaud, who's an Australian, actually, associate professor working with the Geological Survey of Finland. He set out to work out mm. the number of vehicles on the road in the world, and apparently it's quite hard. It's not as easy as you think, and nobody, nobody's bothered to do it. There's 1.39 billion mm. vehicles on the road, he says. He says to convert all those mm. over to batteries... If you wanted to find the metals for that, it would be half of the whole globe and lithium reserves, not production, <laughs> reserves. Yep. And 48% yep. of the global nickel reserves. And there simply are not enough cobalt reserves in the world to make all those batteries. But wait a minute, they've got a limited life, haven't they, those batteries? So in eight years' yes. time, you've got to make them all again. Another 1.39 billion batteries. It seems to me nobody's really worked out the practicalities of this scheme but then that's what the left never do is it it's another utopian dream about to hit slam into the wall of reality yes and just think what were you talking 1.39 billion was yeah. that the vehicle total mm. and all of them cruise around happy as clams on petrol and diesel majority petrol yeah. of course and that, that just happens every day day in day out for decades, century, you know, just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And then if someone decides that this very simple, very straightforward, very repeatable process is somehow bad, we've got to go to another thing, which is, as you point out, mathematically a bit dire, Nick. Yeah. Kevin Rudd, of course, famously said this was the greatest moral challenge of our time. I think it's an even greater engineering challenge, just quietly. I mean, the, the only country in the world that's managed to make cheaper energy out of wind and solar is La La Land. Everywhere else, the laws of <laughs> physics apply, I think. He's got this line. He's going to make renewable energy cheaper. This is Boeing on 7.30 report. I'll tell you what isn't changing, Sarah, the fact that the more renewables you have in the system, that's the point I'm making, to reduce power prices, to get emissions down, actually the same levers achieve both things. I know I keep making it, but I keep making it because it's so fundamental and important that renewable energy is by, by many lengths of the straight, the cheapest form of energy. Getting more renewables is the best way, in fact, the only way uh, to provide any possibility of getting downward pressure on energy prices. We need much more renewable energy. Yes, that's a challenge. We need to build a lot of wind. We need to build a lot of solar. Uh, we need to build offshore wind. We need to do all the above and build the transmission. Chris Bowen, thank you very much indeed for your time this evening. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for your time, Sarah. So renewable energy is cheaper, Tim. That's not our experience, is it? I don't think it's the experience of anybody who's been paying electricity bills for longer than, say, 10 minutes. He keeps saying this as though it's an established fact. Well, in that case, we should all, given the rise of renewables in Australia and the greater proportion of our bills that are the greater proportion of our electricity use derived from renewables shouldn't we be paying less it's, that's really basic 
How is he allowed to just say this sort of stuff? Why is he not challenged? Like, every time he does an interview, someone, the interviewer should just wave an electricity bill in front of him and say, how the hell do you explain this, bro? Like, this is, this is way up. Well, I have a graph sitting in front Some, of me now yeah. which charts the amount of renewable energy in Australia, and you can see that when during the Rudd-Gillard years, that's when it really starts to take off. You yeah. know, they introduce a renewable energy target. Up it shoots. So the amount of renewable energy capacity, that's different from the amount they can actually supply due to variability, but capacity yeah. doubles. Capacity, so twice as much renewable energy in the system when... Rudd finally defeated in 2013 from when he was elected in 2010. What happened to electricity well, Rudd prices? Rudd wasn't exactly renewable, was he himself? No. And over that period, what happened to electricity prices? They almost exactly doubled too. So yes. the, it, or, every country in the world experiences you put more of this stuff into the system, your bills get expensive for sort of obvious reasons. So it's not on a lot of the time, is it? Really basic stuff, really simple. I, mean, I was just going to say, let's listen to Homer Simpson on this subject. They're off the grid, and so far it's going great. Yeah. Yay! What the? Who turned off the wind? Dad, if we're really off the grid, then we won't get power when the air is still. Oh, well, I'm not crawling back to big electricity. From now on, the Simpsons are living intermittently. <laughs> it's an aspirational target. You've got to go for it. Would you buy a car, Tim, if you went along and they said, this is a terrific car, but it only runs for six hours a day on some days, and we can't tell you which six yeah. hours or which days they'll be, but you'll <laughs> love it. No, I, it doesn't sound like a, a line that's going to drag me in. It'll be fun composing the ad sort of... Uh, advertising for that vehicle wouldn't it <laughs> you will go far sometimes <laughs> crapmobile <laughs> no nothing about it makes sense but yeah, this cop thing's gonna be fun at the same time you've got the loveliness of the midterms anything else kicking around at the moment nick that deserves our scholarly attention the teals i saw some of the teals mps who oh really they're very anti-plastic pictured this week having large on their facebook pages having large Halloween celebrations with their kids. There is a lot of plastic involved in a modern Halloween celebration. I'm not sure it's traditional. Oh, absolutely. If you do the Halloween thing now, boy, you're going to burn some plastic. There's a lot of it. I went into my local Kmart a week or so ago, and I don't know the Kmart very well, so I asked an attendant if they could direct him to where the clotheslines were. I needed a new clothesline. And she said, just go up there and turn left at the skeletons, <laughs> which is a store direction I don't think is very common. But yes, there were a pile of Halloween skeletons. A friend of mine on the central coast of New South Wales sent me an image that for all the world looked like, it looked like someone had, had hanged Peter Fitzsimons in effigy as part of a Halloween display. It was a skeleton with a red bandana on it <laughs> dangling from a gallows. So either either someone's just tried to do up a generic pirate or Peter Fitzsimons has got some real serious enemies a bit north of Sydney. Yeah. You'd be wandering around there with a red bandana, you, you might get in a bit of trouble. You'd look at it and say, geez, they've lost some weight. Well, if he, actually, 
If he does lose much more weight, he will be a skeleton. He's a gaunt-looking chap these days. He's got a lot in his mind, Nick. I don't know what that would be. Well, he's just lost the cause. What could possibly be weighing on that colossal mind of his? I guess, Nick, it's just... As a certain lawyer said during a recent hearing in Canberra, it's the $325,000 question. I wonder what that lawyer could have been alluding to with that precise amount. (laughs) (laughs) We've got to be careful, of course. We don't want to be... We want to be very careful, unlike certain people. We don't want to stick a spanner in those smooth-running wheels of justice. (laughs) Exactly. It It would be wrong. about Pat Cummings raised eyebrows from Pat Cummings because Alinta is going to sponsor the Australian cricket team I believe is that right well, well they're going to withdraw hmm. they're no longer going to sponsor Matt- they'll sponsor for one more season but Pat won't appear in their ads anymore because of purity it's not a brand new observation is it Nick but the richer they get the woker they get and Pat having appeared in Alinta ads in the past you know a terrible energy company Mm. is now not going to appear in them because he's uh, he's recently, of course, bought a $9 million house. Must be a bit of money in that cricket game. But I noticed flicking through the images on the real estate site, got a gas oven. But he says he's morally opposed to the energy company. But he's happy to take their gas. Oh, to fossil fuels, yes. There'd be not much point living in a $9 million house if you've got a crappy electric range like some povo, you know, me, for example, in my renting days. Yeah. You've got to have a gas range. If you're cooking... If you're serious about food, it's always gas, isn't it? I think Matt Canavan's got a point about him, though. Visually promoting solar panels. He appeared in the PV magazine. There's a PV magazine? He saying he was spearheading PV magazine, I think that. Photo, <laughs> photovoltaic. Is it like a monthly? What happens every month? Like You're not a subscriber, Tim? The only developments in the PV world that are that dramatic every few weeks? That You should get on board. <laughs> no. I'm confused. Anyway, he's now he's an ambassador basically for solar panels, which have yeah. a rather ugly source in China. There's allegations anyway that they're made with Uyghur slave labour in Xinjiang, and you wouldn't put that past the Chinese. So he's yeah. in favour of that, but not a good yeah. old Aussie electricity company. It's a usual thing, isn't it? He's absolutely selective in their outrage. Yes, you'd want him to go at least one level greater on the investigation in the background. They have to be selective on their outrage, don't they, Tim? Though They have to be selective on their outrage, because if they got hot under the collar about everything, like they get hot under the collar about climate change, they just explode. Yeah. Here's an option, Nick. Why don't they just play cricket, if they're cricketers? Why don't they just play... Why don't athletes of all types just mainly restrict their focus to what they do? In that spirit... I promise not to wander onto the test field and start attempting to bowl. I'll keep doing what I'm doing. You know, being a terrible B-grade journalist and loving it. And they can keep doing what they're doing, which is playing cricket at a brilliant level. That would make everyone happier. We don't need to know what these people think about other things. They get it wrong anyway. It's not their specialist field. You wouldn't expect them to get it right. Is it a little old-fashioned to say a fast bowler should let the ball do the talking? Yeah, I'd think so. We are the exemplars of old-fashioned, Nick. We've got to accept our role in this world. We are the fogies. And uh, one have embraced it. If he wants to go on the pitch and in his head, imagine that those that middle stump represents yeah. a linter energy and he's bloody going to knock it for six. Great. 
That'll be a big positive for our <laughs> cricket side. Pat Cummins has allies in his climate cause. How do you think the cricket team would react if during the summer, and I'm not endorsing this and I don't want it to happen, but suppose a protester, a climate protester, would have come onto the field and glue himself to mm. the stumps. Or glue herself to Pat with a really fast-acting, impossible-to-break adhesive. Would he cop it? Because that's the bigger issue, obviously. He's, the man's got a sense of perspective. He knows that cricket's just a small thing and that saving mm. the planet's really important. So we'd have to be like, you know, it's a fair cop. I'll just stand here with this protester glued on. and Because uh, I think the other day someone glued themselves to a painting commemorating suffragettes, the suffragette movement mm. in Canberra in the, the holy name of avoiding climate change. These gluons, where might they glue next? Cummings, to be, to be, you know, if he was really consistent, he should not take part in the ashes because it commemorates... A burning. The burning of wood and the release of carbon. <laughs> yes. That was what they did, wasn't it? They yes, burned it the does. bales. That's right. He should, they should replace it with a modern alternative to the ashes, which would be to be a, a tiny segment of a PV solar panel. Can't seem to get away from energy policy. Dan Andrews this week said he wanted a gas reservation policy. He wants the gas into Aussie homes. Somebody should point out to Dan that to have a gas reservation policy, you need gas to reserve. Yes. And his policy for the last two terms has been to ban the expiration. It's illegal to frack. It's illegal to even think about fracking. Isn't Dan Andrews or his government also against gas appliances? They are. They're trying to phase out gas appliances in homes to force you to use electric because it's supposed to be I don't know, cleaner, greener or something It's rubbish, it's an idiot So they've got this love-hate relationship with gas because Victoria used to have tons of gas, used to be the big gas capital of the world, didn't it? You'd remember that Yeah, it was great back in the day The gas supplies off Bass Strait, but they've dwindled to such a level that they're now just sucking up the dregs and cleaning them out and trying to get them in the system and electing them to Parliament. So he's got his own problems, isn't he? Yes. If you're not actively searching for gas, you're not going to find any. But there is. We know there's gas reserves mm. in Victoria. We know there's massive gas reserves in New South Wales. They're all there. Yeah. It is interesting, though, that Marsha Langdon, the Aboriginal activist... Oh, yeah. She's on our side. She's come out strongly against solar panels in the outback and across large areas of land because these... I guess they represent, in some ways... These are colonialism panels. Yeah. These are white triumph panels covering a great deal of traditional lands, mm. which would be concerning from her point of view, obviously. That's a fair point. So maybe we should talk more at a different time about the invasive effect on our Indigenous Australians of massive solar farms and gigantic wind farms. She's also spoken against those. This is an interesting turn of events isn't it you can understand why people get hot under the collar sometimes about a new mine opening up or some sort of industrial complex here and there but there is nothing so land hungry as a solar farm yeah because they're essentially inefficient they have to use a much more much more area to generate the same amount of power exactly as other forms traditional forms of generation so you cover half continent with solar panels or wind farms, you could have just a one or two tidy little nuclear plants. Nice. Hence Chris Bowen's plan to install 22,000 a day every day for the next eight years to meet his targets. I wrote that in a column recently, and Jenny Campbell, yeah. the op-ed editor, rang me up and said, I just want to check some figures, Nick. 22,000, that must be 
a year or a decade. And I yeah. went back and I referred yeah. her to the speech where he'd actually said that. But if you go, you'd only have to you know, talk to anybody in Bunnings and mm. say, what do you think, 22,000 yeah. solar panels a day, can we do it? They'd look like you were mad, right? <laughs> but I don't think Bowen's ever wielded a screwdriver in his life, so he wouldn't, it wouldn't really mean anything to him. It's just some abstract number. Yeah, no wonder the budget so made so much sense, Nick. Yes. They would, if you put them end to end, they're two hundred meters, two meters by one meter, roughly. If you put them end to end, long ways, yeah. they would go three times around the globe. Yeah. The number of solar panels he wants to install between now—it's a lot. It covers a lot of area. And then the sun goes behind a cloud. It's got to be a plan B, I think. Just one more point about COP, Nick. Yes, we can't say enough about COP, Tim. Off you go. Well, this is this is actual COPs this time. Precisely, Bobby's cops from your old part of the world, cops in the UK. So, reports come out recently via the UK Telegraph that there's been a record number of crimes committed in the UK in the last 12 months, and together with this, a record low number of charges laid in relation to those crimes. They're only charging people in 5.4% of cases. Now, oh, really? Britain, besides evidently now being the home of the world's most useless police force, is also the home of a great institution, the British crime drama, in which yes. every single episode someone gets caught, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> the Bill, Midsummer Murders, all those things. So for realism's sake, for example, now that we know that only 5.4% of cases are ending in arrest or charges. Midsummer murders has been around for 25 years, Nick. But to be realistic, someone should only be charged in only seven episodes of that entire production run. <laughs> and imagine, it would make watching Midsummer murders actually interesting, wouldn't it? Because if you were lucky enough to cop an episode where the cops caught the bad guy, there'd be a real standout. I mean, you'd have to wait a couple of years. But every so often one would rock around and you go, wow. Most episodes, though, would just end up with, damn it, nah, let's just close this case. We've got nothing. There's a permanent spoiler alert on those programs, isn't it? <laughs> you know how it's going to end. Exactly. So I think that's a good idea. Leave us wondering if the good guys really are going to win. I mean, yeah. Like well, if, better still, I think... If it's seven... If they're really doing it realistically, they'd have to throw in some false arrests, wouldn't they? And some false convictions. They would be innocent people. Yeah, they'd have to throw in. They'd have to throw in new crimes as well. Like you know, they'd have to show the officers or inspectors, whoever sort of are the characters in Midsummer Murders. They'd have to show them barging into someone's house and checking their Facebook posts for evidence of suggesting that COVID was a scam mm. or that masks don't work. But I guess that'd be more a more a Melbourne crime drama, wouldn't it? Yeah. I don't know if I ever told you my grandfather was a London policeman. His whole life he'd worked for the Met, uh-huh. policing the docks. And after he retired, he said, uh, Do you know, son, I never arrested anybody in my entire career. I said, Why was that, Grandpa? <laughs> he said, I didn't like the paperwork. There you go. And See? I think it's an inherited trait, without a doubt. But, uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not as though anything that's nasty has ever happened around London docks. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no. It's, a, it's a, a pristine, crime-free environment and always will be. It's highly ethical behaviour 
goes on there. Everybody has yeah. the highest ethical and unimpeachable standards, those wharfies. They ne- they'd never slip anything out of a container and <laughs> put it in their ute. Never. <laughs> and I'm sure that you could never visit a bar or a pub near the docks and be offered something from the back of a gentleman's vehicle hmm. that might have recently been liberated from a container or a ship. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Which used to be the used to be the deal in South Melbourne. You'd, there'd be a couple of pubs in South Melbourne where you could find just random things for sale. Tim, uh, big big week for the Telegraph. You had one of those stories that you just know everybody's going to click on, <laughs> which was a yep. five lions. I think it was a mother and four cubs, wasn't it? Escaped from their enclosure. I think it was, a, it was a. I think it was a male lion and, and four cubs. Yes. Oh, okay, but I saw that the Telegraph had pretty soon latched on to the fact this was clickbait par excellence. Oh, yeah. Running stories about the history of dangerous animal escapes through the ages and all sorts of things. <laughs> I liked the explanation of Duronga Zoo. It was beautifully done. Mm. I didn't use the word escape anywhere. It was just these lines had been found outside their enclosure. Yeah. And the reason, apparently, was an integrity <laughs> issue with the containment fence. <laughs> what does that mean? A hole? That sounds like the lions escaped. An integrity issue. Well, we have those in all, all manner of aspects of public life. I didn't realise it was a problem inside Taronga Zoo, though, especially in terms of <laughs> containment. Yeah, people don't use English anymore, do they? Remember English used to be a thing? Yeah. Basically, you could understand what people were saying. I miss those days. What were some of the escapes we listed? There were some great ones. Wasn't there some sort of notoriously slow tortoise escape that's still underway <laughs> that began in 1916? <laughs> <laughs> One of those lumbering giant ones. He's only just got half his body out of the containment area. But if there are integrity issues with zoo fences now, particularly around enclosures containing dangerous animals, I, I can really beginning to see the need for a, an yes. independent commission against corruption, don't you? The fence should be hauled into some star chamber and questioned about its true integrity. I like the idea of just every so often, it should be part of the zoo's policy that every so often, you just don't know your chances. There might be the odd man-eater strolling around the area. Half the fun, isn't it? Exactly. It did add a bit of spice to the occasion. You go there with three kids, come back with two. <laughs> add, add a bit of you know, danger of the jungle aspect to outing at a Taronga. It would toughen them up, wouldn't it? Might be a bit sad on the ferry. There's too much of this cotton wooling kids, you know. <laughs> Keeping them separated from <laughs> man-eating beasts. You'd understand them being a bit weepy and shocked on the ferry ride back. But by the time the ferry stopped, and it's not a short ride, 25-odd minutes, I think, something like that. That's long enough. You know, by the time you're back on land, come on, kids, buck up. Let's go to Macca's. Tabitha was terrific. We all love Tabitha. She's gone to a better place now. You'd have bragging rights at school the next Monday, wouldn't you? What happened yeah, to the weekend, yeah. kids? My brother got eaten by a lion. Everybody would think you were <laughs> some hero. Like, wow! Yeah, absolutely. Well, good, Tim. I think we've covered the ground. <laughs> this turned all very dark very quickly. Good stuff, my friend. We're back to dissect the midterm results next week. We'll have a lot more to say about democracy and its future. Tim, thank you for joining me, and we'll talk again next week. Good stuff, my friend. Speak then. Every American and LBJ is with Australia all the way. Australia is the best place in the world to bring up a family. But we will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come.
Australia. Yeah!